0: It is sometimes really hard to be single in the church. You know, I'm I'm not going to lie and I know there are single women out there who very much feel this and will, you know, support me in saying that the church is not traditionally very good at including single women or single people generally.
1: Well, welcome to another edition of AP's Profiles in Christian Living. My name is Mark Powell, and my special guest with me today is Miss Catherine Searle. Today, we're going to be talking about a very sensitive issue of singleness, singleness as the Christian, and particularly as a Christian in the local church. Catherine, welcome. It's great to have you with us.
0: Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here and and hopefully uh, bless a few people with the testimony that I've got to share.
1: Yeah, I'm sure that's going to happen. Now, AP... Is its podcast is called Profiles in Christian Living. So I've got to start by asking you, how did you yourself become a Christian?
0: Sure. So uh, mine's a, a fairly traditional Christian testimony in that I grew up in a Christian family, so I was very familiar with um, with the Bible and with the gospel message, um, really from birth. I had a very strong Christian heritage. So my uh, both of my grandfathers were Christian ministers. Uh, one a Baptist pastor and one was a Presbyterian minister and principal of what was then uh, Melbourne Bible Institute, which became the Bible College of Victoria.
1: Wow, you really do have a good Christian heritage. Um, Do you remember a time when you became a Christian or do you feel like you always knew Christ?
0: No, I I do feel like I had a knowledge of Christ from the the outset and I gave my life to the Lord at the age of seven. uh, so I have, um, been a Christian myself, been saved from that age and have grown in faith since then. I haven't had a period where I didn't know have a, any knowledge of the Lord um, and I haven't had a period of rebellion. I consider myself to have been saved at that young age.
1: Mm. Okay, so th- what a wonderful heritage to have. What a wonderful foundation. From seven years of age, you've known Christ. You've grown up. Tell us where, what what happened in your life from there. What what in terms of your early adulthood?
0: Okay, so uh, I've been very actively involved in the church, as have all of my family for for all of my life. Um, and I've been in youth leadership and Sunday school teaching and uh, uh, established young adults groups and so on. I've been very active in the church. Um, for a very long time, well, for decades now. I'm in my 50s now. Um, uh, my 20s, um, I was here in Hobart. Um, again, very active in the church, um, on the board of management of a Presbyterian church, um, set up a refugee resettlement group to get the church more actively engaged in helping people less fortunate than ourselves. Mm. Um, And my 20s were a great time. I was working as an archaeologist. The world was my oyster. I was travelling the world, uh, had a great career, um, and really, really enjoyed my 20s. And it was really only until I got into my 30s that I started to um, uh, realise that the traditional expectation that you grow up, you get married, you have kids, you buy the house, all all of that um, stereotype Wasn't panning out for me.
2: Mm. Um,
0: But the 20s, you know, my 20s were great, were a really great time. Um, I had cancer in my late 20s, which was an interesting test. Um, It was a rare type and it was described in the medical literature as invariably fatal. And I was given three years to live. Uh, So that was a big test for a while. Physically, it was very, very testing. I was very, very ill for two years before they diagnosed me. And then, of course, I had to come to terms with what I thought was the um, my impending young death, mm. um, which obviously didn't happen.
2: Yeah.
0: Uh, and I can only thank the Lord for that. There's no rational explanation why I didn't die when everyone else who gets that cancer does. Mm. Um, and I had a lot of people praying for me at that time. Mm.
2: Um,
0: but I I was willing to trust the Lord in that. And I said to the Lord at the time, if somehow, for reasons beyond my understanding, there's more glory for you in me dying young than so be it. Wow. And looking back now, um, for me, that wasn't a huge spiritual test Hmm. in light of what was to come. Uh, A lot of people assume it is because that's a big part of my story, uh, grappling with cancer, and I'll talk more about it later because I've had cancer twice now, uh, two different cancers. But... um, but it's really interesting looking back that what I thought was going to be a very scary uh, major life test and trial and, mm. you know, test of my faith actually really wasn't in the big scheme
1: of things. That's amazing to hear you say that because I could imagine lots of people listening to this and myself, I've got to mm. say, myself personally, I would find a cancer diagnosis, a terminal cancer, mm. cancer diagnosis just to be earth-shattering. Right. Yeah, and for a lot
0: of people it is.
1: Yeah. Now, amazingly, praise God, you've been healed, (laughs) not once but twice. Yes. But that wasn't for you the greater test. There was a greater test to come.
0: It it was physically Mm gruelling, but it wasn't a a big spiritual test in my life in the big scheme of things.
1: Okay, so walk us through. What was the greater spiritual test?
0: Well, it was the singleness battle. Mm. And and this is why I say it wasn't until I got into my 30s I got through the cancer, came out the other side, waiting for the cancer to come back, and it never did. Uh, I moved to London at that point. I was in my very early 30s, uh, moved to London and started life all over again. Uh, I needed that after a couple of years of being very ill, um, needed to get out and see the world and live life again. Yeah. And, uh assumed living in a very big city like London that it was only a matter of time before I met the right man, got married, had kids. And of course, once for us as women, once we get into our 30s, the body clock is ticking. Yeah. Uh, And that's when uh, we start to feel the pressure that if I don't have kids soon, that door's going to close. Yeah. Um, So... You know that's what really pushed me into start pray, to start praying about that, and and also, of course, I had friends who were all having kids, and especially in the church, mm. um, the majority of people do get married, have loads of kids, yeah. uh, even more so than in the world. Yeah, um, and you do feel a bit left on the shelf, mm. and and that's hard. That's and particularly with the body clock ticking, that's hard. Time's running out, and. You're feeling the pressure.
1: What do you think was the, the greatest grief there? Was it a, a sense of unfulfillment in terms of not having children yourself or was there something even impacting in terms of your own relationship with God and how he viewed you?
0: Yeah, and that, that's really key and it shifted for me. So it started out being that um, uh, I need a husband and children to be fulfilled you know that's that's what life's all about. And there's plenty of references in the Bible that point to children being a blessing and you know in instructions to be fruitful and multiply, and all of these sorts of things that you assume um that you know if you've got a strong faith in the Lord and you belong to him, that He will bless you in that way. Mm. And as I prayed into it, um, it it became really clear to me that this was a much bigger test. of my my faith in the Lord, and uh, I was watching other single women who were reaching their wits end. The Lord wasn't answering their prayer, at least not in the way they wanted him to, and they were taking matters into their own hands, and I've seen Christian women who've completely lost their faith and walked away because they didn't get what they were asking the Lord for in terms of husband and or children, I've seen women uh, marry non-Christian men. I've seen women even do IVF um, or adopt children as a single parent. Um, And none of those go well. And I watched all of that happening and I thought, um, you know, initially I thought I've got two choices here. I can trust the Lord 100%, just, just wait for him to answer this prayer or I can lose my faith and walk away. And I thought, well, I've been a Christian at this point most of my life. Um, I know the truth of of the Lord and his gospel and his saving grace in my life. Walking away from my faith and turning my back on it was not an option for me. It is for some, uh, but for me, I knew that wasn't going to happen. Um, And that's when I realised there's actually a third option here. And that is I can either trust the Lord 100% and wait for him to answer the prayer and, and call on him and pour my heart out to him and wait for him to answer. Or I can trust him for my salvation, but give up on the rest, give up on this particular battle of singleness. I'm not going to bother the Lord with that because I've tried and he hasn't answered. He hasn't given me what I want. So I'm going to take matters into my own hands when it comes to finding a man and having kids, but still trust the Lord for my salvation so it's sort of the bare minimum of christian faith you know i want to go to heaven when i die i'm not going to give that up but i'm going to be a pew warmer
1: mm-hmm.
0: i'm not really living kind of for like the having Lord.
1: having a cake and eating it it too. is mm-hmm. it is
0: that's exactly right so i realized that those were the two options for me you know assuming i'm not going to walk away from the faith completely the the issue was is this is this the hill that I want to die on? Is this a battle that I am willing to really put the Lord's word to the test and test him in this? Is this something that he is faithful in Mm -hmm. to have dealings with me personally on this issue and work through this issue with me? And in the process of doing that, I realised that that in all of my praying, and I was taking my inspiration from Hannah, actually, who was childless and mm. um, you know had a sister wife giving her a hard time and was really, really, really emotionally struggling with that. Mm. And she was throwing herself at the door of the temple as close as she could get to the physical presence of the Lord and pouring her heart out in such emotional turmoil that the priest thought she was drunk And I could completely relate to that. I was doing the same thing. I was throwing myself on my bed face down when I got home from work at the end of the day and praying for hours and doing that every day. And Mm. it's exhausting. And it's, you know, the, the emotional turmoil is really hard, really, really hard. And, you know, time's ticking on and you're not getting the answer that you want from the Lord. And that's when I had that's when I had this realization that actually there's something deeper going on here. It's not just about I'm asking the Lord for something particular that I want and he hasn't given it to me. Yeah. The deeper issue for me was is the Lord actually trustworthy in mm. all matters of life or just for salvation? You know, mm. am I actually willing to say to the Lord, "I'm going to trust you even if you don't give me what I want?" And
1: I realised
0: then that I didn't actually really deep down believe that he loved me, which was a really shocking revelation for Mm me. I'd grown up in the church. I knew the gospel. I knew the Bible really well inside and out. I knew, you know, for God so loves the world that he gave his only son. But I realised, am I just a chess piece in his grand scheme of things you know his grand strategy's plan of salvation for the world or does he actually care about me as a thinking feeling human being mm. um and so for me that became the crux of the issue does he actually give a damn mm. that that i'm you know upset and in pain emotional pain about mm.
1: especially when he's not giving you your deepest heart's desire yes
0: yes um, and, you know, when you when you want to be married and to have kids, you want that family unit where love is. Mm. So for him to not give me that, I was questioning does he actually love me. Um, and it was when I came to the realisation that, that that was at the crux of it, uh, that was the turning point for me to actually realise I had to figure this out. I can't walk away from this now. I have to persist in this. I have to persevere in my prayer until I get an answer to this. I need the Lord to answer this question. Does he actually love me? So the whole issue of getting getting the husband and the children that I was asking for, that actually took second place then to the bigger issue. So how did you resolve that? Uh, I resolved it. It took years of prayer. Years and it's a really painful process when it's that slow and it takes time, and you're praying and praying and praying and praying and not really getting an immediate answer, and certainly not getting the answer that you want.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. Um, It's hard to persevere in that. It's one thing to pray for something for a day or a week or a month, but to pray for the same thing for years and years, and I'm sure there are plenty of People listening who experience the same thing, not necessarily in the issue of singleness, but pray for something for years and years. It's that perseverance is really hard. And I I really poured my heart out to the Lord. I actually wrote my prayers in journals. I had huge notebooks mm. full of my prayers, and they were rubbish. Looking back now, I sort of laugh at them because, you know, in terms of the caliber of prayer, um, they weren't particularly sophisticated. It was it was pretty basic, and it was just me pouring my heart out. So, can
1: I ask you a difficult and quite sensitive yeah. question? Sure. Do you think there's a that that desire for a family, for marriage, for children? Would you say it was an idol at I, that point? I think
0: uh, I, that's a really good question. It's a hard one to answer now because it it certainly can be an idol, absolutely. But it's also a God-given desire. Yeah. You know, he created marriage and kids and, you know, made us for mm. that. Mm. Um, and that's a good thing, and it's a good thing to want that. And it, it can cross the line into becoming an idol. And that was that's part of the battle, the spiritual battle that's yeah. going on when you're praying into an issue like that is yeah, do I want this thing that I'm asking for more than I want relationship with the Lord? Yeah. And so for me, that was the battle. And it's huge. It is it is huge. And I can completely understand why single Christian women get to that point where they're running out of time to have kids and they give up and they take matters into their own hands. I completely understand that. Um, And I look back now and think it's only by the grace of God that he opened my eyes to what was really going on here at the spiritual level. And... And gave me, he personally himself gave me the faith to get through Mm -hmm. because I I couldn't have done it in my own
1: strength. Yeah, I heard a sermon once by Philip Jensen in Sydney and he was talking about this challenge and he described it as the temptation to do what Esau did and sell his birthright for a bowl of red stew. Yes, Um, which
0: sounds silly to us.
1: Yeah, it does.
0: But I completely understand that. And there are so many examples in the scripture of, of people selling out um, and of people being faithful too. Uh, and I had to throw myself into the scriptures. I mm. read and read and read and, it, and you know, the Lord gave me a huge amount. He taught me so much. And and there's, there's one thing in particular that was the turning point in me accepting my lot from the Lord, mm. and that is that he opened my eyes. When I was praying into this issue of, Lord, do you actually love me? Do you actually really care how I feel? Um, and he opened my eyes to the fact that I have two advocates who are much more powerful and effective advocates before God than, than I can be in my own strength. Okay, what are they? And those two advocates are Jesus Christ himself mm. and the Holy Spirit. Uh, and he showed me Jesus in, in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before he was crucified and he was praying. He was, he was sweating drops of blood. He was so stressed. Yeah. He knew what was coming. He had a horrific ordeal facing him within hours. And yet in that garden at that time, he prayed for us. He prayed for the people that God would give him into the future, not just the current disciples, all of the church. Mm. He prayed for the church. He prayed for his people that God would keep them unified and faithful. And I thought that just blew me away. I thought Jesus Christ himself in his greatest hour mm. of, of emotional turmoil and stress for everything that he knew he was about to go through was praying for me. You know, the Son of God was on his knees praying for me. I'm getting emotional mm. just thinking about it because it's powerful. It's powerful stuff. And the other advocate that he opened my eyes to was the Holy Spirit, who is very invisible and behind the scenes, and he is advocating to God the Father for us with groans that can't be uttered. You you can't put it into words. And that was how I felt when I was praying this stuff, you know, writing my pathetic little human prayers, um, you know, pouring out my feelings um, on a page I couldn't capture in words everything that I was feeling. And I kept saying that to the Lord. I'm trusting that you understand what's what's on my heart because I can't I can't adequately express this in words. And here was this advocate on my behalf who can communicate that mm-hmm. effectively without the use of of you know fallible human language. It's such
1: a profound truth you're talking about, knowing that God loves you even though He hasn't given you the desires of your heart. Yes. Uh, Even though he said no to your many earnest prayers, it's a profound place to come to. Um, I'm always struck in the Bible how we're not saved by our good works but for good works. Mm. And in fact, the Bible in Ephesians 2 verse 10 says the the good works that we have are even a gift from God. They're things that he's planned in advance for us to do. What What purpose, what good works do you think God has put before you in your singleness? Yeah,
0: that's a really good question and I think I'm still figuring out the answer to that. And I also think we probably don't even know a lot of the the good that we do um, because at the end of the day it's about what the Lord does through us and one example of that is what I'm doing right now which is telling my story, which Mm. is a really personal story and it's hard to talk about um, Mm. publicly, and I I don't talk about it much, but I probably need to talk about it more, and I'm happy to be here talking about it now because I've learned over the years, although I'm a very private person and don't like to share something this emotional, that actually there are so many people in the church who are going through this or similar things who need to hear how somebody else has coped with it and got through it. Mm. And need to hear that the Lord does actually care for them and love them and is really genuinely concerned and interested about what they're going through and is wanting to reach out, is actively reaching out. You know, the Lord mm. does that with us.
1: Yeah, what would you say to the person listening to this right now who is rock bottom? Like they they were, were they are where you were. Um yeah. and they're crying out to God with yeah. tears hours a day pr- praying for the thing that never comes what would you say to them? I think they're in the best possible place they could
0: be at rock bottom which sounds insensitive mm. but it's that that to me is a sign that the Lord has brought them there because when he I've learned when he really wants to use a person and bring them into a much much deeper level of faith and relationship with yeah. himself. He has to bring us to rock bottom because we can't, we can't achieve anything of eternal value in our own strength. Mm. Um, and I think he doesn't do that for everyone. Um, he chooses people and he invests in people and he brings them to that place where he can transform them and use them. So it's not mm. a bad place to be, even though it feels miserable it's a good place to be because that's where the Lord will break through and and teach people and love people and restore people and transform people.
1: Yeah, again, that's a profound truth you're talking about. It reminds me of John the Baptist where he says of the Lord Jesus Christ, he must become greater or more and I must yeah. become less. Yeah. That's really what you're talking about, isn't it? Is
0: Absolutely. It's death to self. mm and I, I had to learn that through this singleness battle. I had to learn that what I want at the end of the day doesn't matter, and it took me years to learn that. And, you know, I'm in my 50s now. That The worst of that battle is behind me. It's not over. I still would love to be married. I, I could adopt kids. I, You know, I'd do that in a heartbeat. Mm. But if the Lord doesn't want that for me, if he's got other things for me to do, um, then then I choose that.
1: I choose what the Lord wants to do with me. I mean, that's so different to how a lot of people, I I call it a triumphal um, presentation of Christianity, that some people present that if you come to God, he'll bless you in every way. Yeah. He'll make you healthy, wealthy, and wise. Yeah. But the way of the cross is the way of death to self, isn't it? It is, absolutely, and it, it really
0: bothers me that we live in a day and age where this false prosperity gospel is so pervasive and people fall for the lie that the Lord wants to pour out all of this worldly blessing on us and he's not going to leave us wanting anything and we can be we can be healthy and, and well and prosperous, you know, mm-hmm. financially rich and blessed with, you know, great marriage and loads of kids. And I look at the church today and think, well, I don't actually see much sign of that mm-hmm. happening um you know i don't think that necessary of course the lord wants to bless us but he's got bigger issues mm. with most of us mm. than just the material things that we want
1: and it's particularly that path of brokenness that is not against his will but very much at the center of his will is what you're saying absolutely it is because it's bringing him bringing us to himself giving us the greatest gift of all which is which is himself yes but to, to receive that we have to die to self.
0: We do. And we've got um, you know, more than enough examples and testimony of that just in the scriptures, let yeah. alone in all of church history and probably in our own churches. Mm. And, you know, Jesus himself being the prime example of someone who came here to suffer and die.
2: Mm.
0: He didn't come here to take the throne and, you know, be crowned as king and be lauded and he will be. Mm. But he had to suffer and die to to, you know, give birth to this um gospel and this opportunity for salvation. And the apostles and, you know, so many of the early church were thrown to the lions. And, you know, they didn't have all of this material blessing that the modern false prosperity gospel promises. Mm. And neither have Christians throughout most of history.
1: Now, I know you don't say any of this to disparage people's suffering or to minimize it. Because the question I want to ask is, for those that are feeling very isolated and alone Mm. and hitting rock bottom, how can we, particularly as a church, love people and support and encourage people when they're in that season?
0: Yeah, it's a really vital question. And I think the first thing is they need to know they're not alone. Um, You know, not only is the Lord himself personally invested and, and at work, but the vast majority of Christians experience turmoil and trouble and strife and, and you know, don't get the prayers answered in the way they want to answer. We've all been there. Yeah. And it might not be in the test of singles, singleness. You might have a great marriage and a really happy bunch of kids and lots of them and that might not be the test for you, but everybody has tests. If they're serious about following the Lord and they're serious about being faithful to the end... mm mm-hmm and persevering in this life in their faith with the Lord, he will test it.
1: So but what do you say particularly to people like me, like who's a family man, you know? Yeah. I've got a whole tribe of kids. How do I be more considerate of mm. people in your position? Because, look, the church is made up of mostly people like me. So yes. how can, as a church, particularly people that are single, what can we do to be more Cognizant of mm. of of mm. your needs, of mm. of of your situation, uh, of involving you. Yeah. Um, because sometimes yeah, I think sure. as a man, I'm I'm hesitant to approach single women. Yes. Because I don't want to do anything inappropriate. No. Um, can you help us navigate from your perspective yeah, some of the things that are helpful?
0: And it is it it is sometimes really hard to be single in the church. You know, I'm I'm not going to lie, and I know there are single women out there who who very much feel this and will, you know, support me in saying that the church is not traditionally very good at including single women or single people generally. Um, But I think at the end of the day, you know, the church is a big family. We're a spiritual family and we need to be able to talk about these things. And this is why I talk about it, even Mm -hmm. though this is, this is, you know, I'm a private person, it's hard for me to share emotional stuff like this. I choose to do it because I can and people need to hear it uh, and know that they're not alone. Um, I, but I think for me, uh, you know, one of the things that helped immensely was being part of a church. Uh, while I was living in London and going through all of all of this, I was part of a church that was a big family and I had, you know, spiritual kids and aunts and uncles and grandparents and You know, it was one big family and I did experience something of what family is like. It's not the same. It never will be the same. But we should be uh, in an environment in our churches where we're able to share with each other what's going on in our life spiritually. And it's really easy on a Sunday morning to chat to someone and say, hi, how are you? Have you had a good week? What's Mm -hmm. going on in your life this week? And they say, oh, you know. Work's been really full on this week and we talk about superficial things and it can be very difficult to foster a kind of culture in churches where we're able to say, look, I'm really struggling spiritually with this issue. Would you pray with me? Um, you know, is there mm. someone else in the church who who could help me so through this because, you know, as a really single involved. woman, it mm. might not be appropriate for me to come to you as a, as a man and say, can you help me? deal with my struggle with singleness.
1: um, What you're saying is that it's really important to have really good female relationships in your life as well. Fostering deep friendships with them is really important. Yes, absolutely. I think all
0: friendships in the church are important. We should be able to have really good friendships, relationships with people in the church that we're able to share what's going on in each other's lives and Mm. support each other. Um, And uh, yeah, a lot of churches are not really Set up very effectively to do that. We come and sit on a Sunday morning and we have five minutes at the end of chit chat. Um, So we've got to find other ways to build those relationships and surround ourselves with people, which is a great solution to being single and being unhappy about being single, is surrounding yourself with people of all ages.
1: Yeah, I can see how really edifying that could be with other women and having close friendships. What about with families? Is there uh, what does it look like practically, mm. that there's been mm. positive relationships with you being an auntie, you know in yeah spiritual commerce. auntie, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I was able to be fairly proactive and get involved and do things, so I was a youth leader and a Sunday school teacher, and I have lots of spiritual kids that way, um which has been a real blessing to me. It's not yeah. the same, but it is a blessing. Um, but also just on a personal level, it's really practical little things like inviting people over for lunch on a Sunday or on, you know, special days. If there are single people in the church who don't have extended family around, invite them over for Christmas. You know, it might feel a bit awkward to have mm. something yep. of a stranger come in on your family event. Um there should be people in the church who are willing to do that and willing to bring people in and not leave them alone. I found it very difficult in my early years in London on, you know, Christmas and Easter and, and other special days in the year where everyone's going to family for lunch and yeah. and I didn't have anywhere to go. And, and, you know, I was able to be proactive and, and change that and I actually ended up putting on Christmas lunches church for single people and ended up with sort of 20, 25 people most years I did that. And people were very appreciative of that. Even young couples, you know, we had foreign students or young couples with no kids who felt a bit weird being on their own on Christmas Day. Um, There are a lot of people who feel lonely for a lot of reasons. Um, So I think the more we can foster a really healthy, rich social life in church and encourage really deep relationship building, not just a superficial conversation.
1: Catherine, what would you say to people that have made mistakes or feel like they've gone down a wrong path and compromised their faith?
0: That's a really important question. And I think it's really important that we acknowledge that we're human, we do make mistakes, uh, and there is redemption for all of us. Uh, Jesus Christ died for that. He died to redeem us and bring us back and transform the mistakes that we've made. So it doesn't matter how much you've screwed up your life. There is hope for you. There is redemption for you. You just need to take that to the Lord. The blood of Jesus Christ is powerful to redeem and transform.
1: Can I ask you a negative question? (laughs) And I'm a a little bit loath to ask this because it's like airing dirty laundry. But I could imagine like Job's friends, there was a whole lot of Absolutely things
2: that were said Absolutely. to
1: you. What were some of the things or ways that yeah. or that people responded that you thought we've got to do better? We should learn from this. Yep,
2: yep.
0: there was an awful lot of that, I'll tell you. And and people are well meaning, so I don't want to I don't want to rubbish people for reaching out, and I don't want to discourage people from offering encouragement because mm. we're called to do that and to encourage each other. But it's not encouraging to say to a single woman oh, I believe that the Lord has someone for everyone. There are more women in the world than men and certainly more women in the church than there are men. So how does that work? Mm. It doesn't stack up. That's human logic that, yeah. that we tell ourselves to comfort ourselves, but it's not true. So it's not a real spiritual encouragement to tell someone something that's just not true. Yeah, You want to believe it, but it's not. Um, uh, there are a lot of things, a lot of things, and... You know, one for example was was people telling me I was single because I was demonically oppressed. I had the spirit of Jezebel that needed to be cast out, and um, you know that's a. I've seen that a lot in in women dealing with singleness, and that's a really classic way of externalizing the problem. Mm. Um, you know, it's not my problem. It's because there's some demon oppressing me, and wow. um, it, and and actually, that's dangerous. Yeah. It's dangerous. So uh, uh, there are all sorts of things, all sorts of things that people told me. Um, You know, maybe it's not so bad to find a non-Christian man and you know um, have a relationship that way and have kids that way. You can raise the kids, you know, as Christian. Mm. It's it's not helpful. It's Mm. really not helpful. And I've just watched so many Christian women um, lose their faith completely or lose their joy. Mm. because they go down a path that is not the Lord's path, not the Lord's solution. look, Catherine,
1: to be honest, and as you've said today, there is a real cost to being single. Yes, there is. And it's important to acknowledge that. But on the other hand, there is also some real opportunities. Yes. In being single. Yes. Uh, if we trust in God's good, sovereign, loving plan for us, what do you think are some of those benefits that, God has used you in your singleness and has given you the opportunity to do good. Can you talk about sure. what's that What's that look like for you personally? Yeah,
0: I'll give you some practical examples. So, you know, one is I've already mentioned I've been very involved in, in youth leadership, you know, youth groups, Sunday school teaching, um, uh, facilitating and coordinating young adults groups um, and all sorts of things like that for the church. Uh, supporting churches with building-related issues, and um, which I can do in my professional capacity, having having done a lot of.
1: See, I feel like you're being very building. humble here because yes, they, they're good works in terms of the church, <laughs> but even in your professional life, yeah, well, you're doing a PhD now. I am, yes, and I, I, I that, that's just impossible if you were had that's been married. That's right. Or... That's right.
0: There are a lot of things that I do that um, you know seem fairly routine to me and ordinary, but. I wouldn't be able to do them if I had the responsibility of kids and um so there are certainly things that are a blessing. I mean, one of the things that I was able to do in London and I'm keen to do again here is to take people to Israel mm-hmm. and lead them on tours through Israel. That's a real interest of mine. I was worked as an archaeologist for many years and I have an interest in biblical history, Old Testament history especially. Um, and Israel's so packed full of amazing historic sites and um, significant sites and the history comes alive. It makes the Bible come alive um, to know something of the the historical and cultural and political context of all of that and the geography mm. of the place um, and to be able to take people. I've taken a, a big group from my church in London to Israel um, on a two-week tour there. I've taken young people from the youth group to Israel, uh, which is an, an amazing blessing. Mm. And there's a lot of planning that goes into that. So, um, you know, these sorts of things I, I wouldn't be able to do. And that's all linked to my work as well. I've done a master's degree in Middle East politics. I'm doing a PhD now in international relations, um, developing a framework to do peace and conflict impact assessment on big controversial projects, using a, a Middle Eastern project as, as an example. That's no, <coughs> that's no light topic. It's not at all. It's not at all. But the Lord has really blessed my career uh, or several careers even mm. um, uh, you know i'm I'm leading a um, Hobart office of a an engineering company at the moment major projects company we deliver a lot of big infrastructure projects um, and the company do so all over the world. I work on projects across Australia and new zealand um, and it's a real privilege to be able to lead people and um to be able to have that sort of opportunity in the workplace. Um, and I don't take that that responsibility lightly. The Lord's put me there. And mm. I don't fully understand his purposes in that. Yeah. Uh, but I trust him in in it and know that he's put me there and that all of these different strands of my life, the archaeology and the interest in Israel and, mm. um, you know, leadership roles in the church and and my work and my studies. They all work together um, for the Lord's purposes, much of which might be unseen to me, uh, and I don't pretend to understand the eternal worth of everything that I do, but that's where faith comes in.
1: Yeah, and it seems to me a key insight here is being faithful with what God has put in front of you right now.
0: He hasn't called us to get results. He's called us to be faithful and obedient,
2: Mm -hmm. Um,
0: and that's what I'm trying to do, and I think I am doing as I'm empowered by his Holy Spirit to do what he's given me to do, mm-hmm. which is what he promises to do to empower yeah. us to do what he's asked of us and he gives us the faith. and you know one of the things that I've learned over the years and uh, through the singleness battle as well is that uh, I learned from the the story of Joshua where uh, the angel of the Lord comes to Joshua and and he tells him, "Be strong and courageous," And he repeats it, "Be strong and very courageous." yeah, and of course, Joshua is about to lead several million Israelites, you know, into into the promised land that's already populated with yeah. people with fairly sophisticated armies, and he he's going to have to lead his own army in battles, many yeah. of them. And it's pretty daunting and intimidating. And the Lord comes and says, "Be strong and very courageous." And the Lord gave me that chapter one week. I remember it. there was something coming up in my life that I had no inkling of that was going to be a huge, huge test. And I won't get into what the circumstances of it were because it doesn't matter. But the Lord gave me that passage three times in one week and it hit me right between the eyes. And and I said, okay, Lord, I'm getting the message. You're hmm. wanting to prepare me f- for something here. You're telling me to be strong and very courageous for whatever it is that's coming I need to read into this chapter a bit more and understand what was going on here. And the Lord opened my eyes to the fact that when he says, He he's the creator of the world. This is Jesus Christ, the creator, who said, let there be light and there was light. His words have power. So when he says to Joshua, be strong and very courageous, he isn't just giving him a few empty platitudes, you know, mm-hmm. cheer up, yep. chin up, look on the bright side. Yeah. Um, because that's useless. That's worse yeah. than useless. Coming from the Lord of all the earth, you know, this is this is the Son of God saying to Joshua, be strong, and the power of those words is basically imparting his own strength to Joshua for what's ahead.
1: Yeah, amen. I it, think that's a very it's good It's a huge word.
0: revelation to me.
1: And it's a great way of summing up everything you've said is the, the challenge and the walk of faith never ends. Yes. Um, whether we're single, whether we're married, whether we have children, whether we don't, we always have to walk by faith, which means being strong and courageous. The, the challenges are there. They don't go away. They um, don't. And
0: people battle with all sorts of different things. And, mm. you know, whether, whether singleness and childlessness is your battle or whether it's something else, yeah. you need faith to get through it. And faith comes from the Lord. We can't do it in our own strength, but we can look to him and he promises to bring us through.
1: Amen. Amen. Well, thank you so much. Uh, It's been a real delight having you. My pleasure. Well, I hope you've enjoyed this latest episode of AP's Profiles in Christian Living. My name is Mark Powell and I look forward to seeing you next time.